everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from Farm Alley Golf Club. Why are we here? Well, you that's a great question. If you've been paying attention the last few weeks, we're here today broadcasting live because we're part of the Game Charity Golf Scramble, partnered up with Courtesy Bro Bridge. We're having the golf scramble that's going to benefit Red Bird Ministries, RP3 and company and footnotes will both be broadcasting live from the farm today good morning of course i may be out here but our guy dawson islow is manning the ones and twos back in the evco development studios in upper lafayette dawson d low good morning to you brother how's your bracket looking today did not want to talk about it thought we agreed on that No, I'll Your tell bracket you, looks as about as good as mine does. It's, you know, I've been doing brackets for, you know, I mean, 10 to 12 years of my life. And when I really mean it's never, it's it really has never, ever been this bad. It's never once been to where I had my champion gone in the first round. I None of my upset picks really hit. The ones that I didn't pick did. Um, You know, that's the beauty of it. Because nobody really knows what's going to happen. Anybody uh, who said they knew Farley Dickinson was going to uh, beat Purdue was probably lying to you. So one of the biggest upsets, maybe the biggest upset in college basketball history. I, I wouldn't. When you start to look at some of the numbers behind it, I would not stretch to say that. But all that to say, my bracket's not looking good. Uh, yeah, and that means that means unfortunately for you, D'Lo, that you are in fact mortal. And yeah. uh, you know, you had a great run. To start things with your sure predictions did. and your insight. But, you know, the NCAA tournament, man, it, it will humble you in a heartbeat, brother. It sure will. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that, and we got a ton to get to. Obviously, uh, Mondays are always jam-packed. We'll get to the college baseball series over the weekend for McNeese, LSU, and Raging Cajuns. All good things on that front. Uh, of course, uh, we'll dive into some of the press conferences that were held as well. Got to hear from Jamal Williams, the new Saints running back. We'll get to all that for you in the latest with NFL free agency and LSU women punching their ticket to the Sweet 16. I was able to be there for both Friday's game and last night's game. And we'll do a deep dive on all of that for you this morning. Not to worry. But we got to start off with the madness. Fairly Dickinson wasn't even supposed to be in the NCAA tournament, Dawson. Like, this is a team that only won its conference tournament because the team that won the regular season title and won the conference tournament was not eligible to take part in the NCAA tournament because of the transitional time period coming up from D2 up to Division One. So they weren't even supposed to be in the field to begin with, right? They, they didn't necessarily punch their ticket like everyone else did by either winning their conference tournament or uh, being good enough to get an at-large bid. 
they're the first one of the first four teams in. So they have to play that game first and foremost. They have to do that. Then they win that game and then to do what they did. And I'm just going to say it. They played, and I know it sounds ridiculous to say, but they played like they were the higher seed. They played like they were the better team. Dawson, it wasn't it wasn't even close in that game. I mean, how could you perform the way that their opposition did? Now, we've seen this, they do this year after year in recent years, and of course the program has an immense history of always underperforming when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Traditionally speaking, they always kind of, you know, you know, out there, but I don't know, man. Fairly Dickinson was fairly uh, was obviously to me watching the game. They were the the better team. Yeah, it was it was a strange game because Purdue and the other reason that you 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 kind of hear some of the things that were said about this being the biggest upset in in basketball history is Purdue is the largest team in the country size wise and by average height, and Fairly Dickinson is the smallest team in the country, not the smallest team in the tournament. The smallest team in Division One basketball, I think, three hundred sixty third out of three hundred sixty three teams, um, and so they somehow overcame that and did not allow Ed. Now Ed got some, you know, he got his in the first half, but down the stretch when Purdue needed a bat, about a, a big bucket over and over again, they could not get the ball inside. And I thought they didn't try hard enough. Personally, they settled for outside shots a lot. And if Purdue would have hit a couple of those, they'd have won the game. But they just could not hit a three down the stretch. Um, it was a great kind of swarming defensive tactic. Every time Edie tried to touch it inside, they were all over him. Um, I still think Purdue just mismanaged the situation because there were easy buckets to be had when you have that much of a mismatch. But they didn't take advantage, and then Fairleigh Dickinson hit some shots late, and it was the perfect storm for a big upset. It was the absolutely the, the perfect storm for a big upset, and... They pulled it off. Now, of course, their run comes to an end against Florida Atlantic, but not the easily. ninth seed. Not, but not easily. It was a hard-fought game, and FAU had its hands full. And in addition to Purdue, we also saw Kansas. You kind of had an idea that Kansas may be teetering a little bit, right? No Bill Self with them. He was away from the team for the health reasons because of the heart issue that he had. He had to have that procedure. And, you know, the defending champs, it's always so hard. You thought maybe Kansas would be able to at least get through to the Sweet 16, but that did not happen as well. They get upset in the NCAA tournament and don't make it out of the first weekend either. So, you know, what would you make of Kansas not being able to get out of the first, uh, out of the second round, rather? Yeah, I mean, Eric Musselman is kind of uh, starting to prove that he's one of those coaches that you don't want to see in March, and his team's already always ready to go, always playing well at this time of year. I kind of agree with you now that, I mean, I still thought Kansas was going to get certainly past this point, and how much Bill Self not being there impacted them, we don't know, but it certainly seemed like it had some sort of impact. They didn't, remember, they didn't play a very good first game in their their first game against the 16th seed. Uh, Howard was hanging around in that first half, now, they separated in the second half, but um, you just felt like maybe Coach Self being there kind of had an impact on them. And then another thing that I you know, I kind of brought up is the Big 12 
How would they look in this tournament after the grueling grind that was the Big 12 conference schedule with how good that conference was? And not to say they've, you know, tremendously underachieved because you've got some teams certainly with Kansas State in the mix still, but, you know, Texas as well. But Kansas didn't look good in either game, and um, Arkansas was a little bit too much for them in the second round. A little too much for them in the second round, and, you know, I look, I look at my bracket here, and I know I shouldn't, but I look. And so I have Alabama in the Sweet 16. I did predict that. Um, I did not have Creighton in the, in the uh, Sweet 16. I had Baylor in the Sweet 16. Actually, I had Baylor in the Elite Eight, so I missed out on that. only have one team in the Sweet 16 of that four in the South region, which absolutely got just brutalized <laughs> over, the, over the weekend. Obviously, I had Purdue winning the whole thing, which we talked about on social media, and that was um, – well, that was that, that was awful. So I'm just going to put big X's here on my bracket X, X, X. Yeah, there you go. It's trash. So I also uh, had uh, Duke advancing to the, uh, to, to the uh, Sweet 16. That did not happen as Tennessee. Uh, who, who thought that the Louisiana Raging Cajuns were going to be playing the Tennessee Volunteers closer and better than the Duke Blue Devils, who were one of the hottest teams heading into the tournament. Who had that? Yeah, I mean, by a good margin, too. It wasn't necessarily all that close in that second Tennessee game. I uh, Yeah, I, similarly in my bracket, that I don't have much left. I, have, I did have Creighton um, through, so that was a nice little upset pick that worked out for me in the second round. I had Kansas State, who's still there, Houston and Texas as one and two seeds. You, and then at the bottom, I did have a few. I had UConn, Gonzaga, and UCLA who all went through. But, yeah, it does not look great for me. Um, I will say, <laughs> as we could go through this for a while, I will tell you this, my women's bracket, we, I didn't get much time to cover it, but my women's bracket, I ended up hitting on a couple of big upset picks, including Florida Gulf Coast, who is eternally underseated in the women's side of things. But, um, yeah, one thing I wanted to point out, Gonzaga as uh, Ken Pomeroy, who is, of course, the uh, guy behind the Ken Pom rankings that everyone loves to use. Mark Few at Gonzaga has overachieved their seed 16 times in his 24 years and 12 of the last 15 seasons. I just think that people, again, Gonzaga gets this bad reputation about being in a small conference and dominating it but not being able to compete on the top level. I mean, they're always there. They don't get upset hardly ever. They're always making deep runs, and that's a team that I talked about a lot, and I still like their uh, their chances now right. to potentially get past UCLA. But um, that's another one I just think not not fair to Mark Few and what they've built over there when people start to try to tear that program down. Yeah, when I look at – and look, he, he always does a nice job, especially being in what conference they play in and everything like that. They always are up for um, – they always rise to the occasion, if you will. Now, look – only got one Sweet 16 in the South. Only got one Sweet 16 in the East. That's K-State. By the way, shout out to Tom Izzo, Michigan State. Once again, you talked about Musselman being that guy, one of those coaches you don't want to face that always has his teams playing at the best level when they're in the tournament. Um, that's Mr. Tom Izzo, by the way. He's back in the Sweet 16 after a down year when they went 19-12. and 12. Yet, they took down the 10 seed and then took down the two seed Marquette, who was a trendy pick to go to the final four as well. I have every Sweet 16 team, by the way, in the Midwest region. Um, 
I guess that's a consolation prize for me, uh, D'Lo. You're just a guy <laughs> who knows Midwest Houston, basketball. Look, I know Houston, you. I know Miami, you live and die by the Xavier, Midwest basketball Texas. scene. That's, <laughs> I do. That's where I you do. Focus, you, you, you focus most of your time on that region. I mean, we talked about that plenty of times. Um, and then I only have what's left is I have UConn and I have Gonzaga. So bracket is completely, absolutely busted. You know, we're want to talk about this real quick while we have a few minutes. I know we're up uh, against a break. But we've seen this, it seems to me, the last five to seven years. We've talked about how the NCAA tournament is trying its best, the selection committee, to keep the mid-majors out, right? Most conferences are only a one-team bid league. Uh, The days of seeing two teams from one of these um, uh, smaller conferences is really non-existent anymore because they're so obsessed about putting in the bigger schools from the bigger conferences in the dance. Yet, it seems to me, in particular the last six to seven, maybe even eight years, Dawson, I don't have the, the data right in front of me, but it sure does seem like we see more and more of these upsets. We've seen in the last in that time period, we've seen two number one seeds lose to 16s. We've seen two seeds lose. I mean, I'm looking at my bracket right now, and I'm looking at one two seed, two one seeds, I'm sorry, two two seeds and two one seeds have been eliminated on the first weekend, you know, and we have all these small schools. We have all these great stories over and over again. Is this one of the best times for parity when it comes to college basketball in the last maybe seven, eight years? Yeah, it definitely is. And I think, look, a factor in that as well would be the COVID years that, that teams have gotten. I think you're still seeing a little bit of the residual effect of that. Some of these teams have veteran guys who have been around for a while. Um, the era of the transfer portal has made some of the power teams maybe better, but it's also kind of leveled the playing field in a way. And in basketball, something we've talked about with what Will Wade's going to try and do at McNeese, it doesn't necessarily take too long to get something built if you can bring in some transfers. So I think we've seen it. And, yeah, no, I, 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 I've obviously echoed that sentiment already about the mid-major teams and kind of the, the lack of, you know, respect there they basically want to say go beat power conference teams and if you don't do that we're not going to give you any respect even though we're seeing over and over again that these mid-major teams can pretty much compete and Princeton's a prime example they win two games and they're going to be playing in the Sweet 16 and look I wouldn't rule them out of winning the Sweet 16 game Um, they were they were right there Florida Atlantic as well now they caught a break of course with Purdue going down so they play Farley Dickinson instead of playing a potentially Purdue in that second round but they're around in the Sweet 16 um, a team that won 31 games in the regular season but was kind of uh, under-seeded as a nine. So I'm, I think we're going to continue to see that. And, and I think that's interesting, too. The, 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 the gap between the top teams and the bottom teams in the tournament is certainly smaller than it was in the past. And I think the gap between the top teams and the second-tier teams is smaller than it was in the past. You, don't, you no longer have a clear cut. I mean, again, the, two of the favorites coming into this tournament were certainly Purdue and Kansas, and they're gone. So uh, I think if you know you have a chance to maybe see Alabama is it was still the overall favorite, and I think they're kind of still rolling at this point. But if they go down, I mean, you're going to be again forced to now look at the second tier teams that you had at the beginning of the season. Quickly, any of the Cinderella teams you go you you give a shot to? Who do you like now that the first weekend is in the books? Well, I, you know, it depends how kind of your. Uh, your definition of a Cinderella team, as far as uh, I, I would, Princeton obviously fits that mold the most clearly. Um, 
And yeah, I'd give them a shot against Creighton. They dominated Missouri in the second round matchup. I mean, it wasn't all that close. And so, you know, I think they have a good chance. The other one is FAU, I think would be kind of the only other team that really fully qualified as a Cinderella story. Um, and they certainly have a shot um, when they're playing Tennessee. We, we've seen that that Tennessee team is, they, now look, they played really well against Duke, but they still don't have the ability to score the basketball. So if FAU is able to get hot and knock down some shots from the outside, we've seen the blueprint to beat Tennessee. The Cajuns almost did it themselves. So I think FAU, a little bit more talented team than the Cajuns are as well. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if either one of the quote-unquote Cinderella teams remaining make it to the Elite Eight. Oh, man, it is. it was absolute madness this past weekend for the NCAA tournament. It began on Thursday, and it never really let up as two twos and two ones don't even make it out of the opening weekend. Of course, we'll talk more about this throughout today's show and throughout the week here on RP3 and Company. Right now, though, we got to take a timeout. When we return, not to worry, not to worry, we'll return. We're going to talk about the LSU women. They got the job done. They punched their ticket to the Sweet 16. We'll hear from Kim Mulkey. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's not a championship, but it is definitely accomplishment. We have won one more game than we won last year. Uh, and you better believe that that's big for us in rebuilding this program. I thought um, the students were back tonight. They're done with spring break. I thought they were just awesome. I thought the crowd was electric. Um, but, yeah, Jock, it's, that's, a, that's a big deal for this program at this time. I've got coaches in there with tears in their eyes that have never won and been to a Sweet 16. I've got coaches in there that have been to multiple Final Fours and national championships. So you don't ever take things for granted, and you let them enjoy it. You let them soak it all in and um, got kids in that locker room that have never been to a Sweet 16. LSU women's basketball coach Kim Mulkey talking about whether or not making the Sweet 16 is an accomplishment for her team in year number two. Of course, they really pulled away starting in the second quarter from Michigan. They were able to utilize their athleticism to combat the bigs that Michigan has. They had like three uh, girls over six foot tall that like to play in the post. And LSU was able to use their athleticism to their advantage. Angel Reese was phenomenal, 25 points, 24 rebounds, her 30th double-double of the season. And they got contributions from everywhere, from all across the board. Yes, Angel was dominant, as she typically is, but this team was able to get contributions, including Alexis Morris, who had a sluggish start to the game yet again, Dawson, but she ends up with 11 points in this victory as they out-rebound Michigan by 20. They were also forced nearly 15 turnovers in this ball game. 
the crowd was electric, and the LSU women advanced to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2014. Well, they'll take on Utah on Friday night there in Greenville. Uh, what did you make of the type of performance you saw from the LSU women this weekend? Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of a situation where the real tournament starts now, right? Uh, they did what they were supposed to do, which, I, you know, I don't think we had a ton of doubt, but last year kind of put that thought in your head. And we knew this team was different than that, but you still wonder. And I, I thought there was a, it was a little bit of a tough draw. I thought Michigan and UNLV, specifically UNLV being the one of the better 11 seeds around. But Michigan held serve and, um, you know, just didn't really have enough athleticism, as you mentioned. I think that's, that's what it partly came down to. So now you face Utah. Now uh, anything from here on out would be, you know, seed-wise an upset. Of course, I think uh, – you probably give them a pretty good shot against Utah, and then after that, you're kind of starting to, you know, get into the games where we weren't sure how they play. So, um, you, you're where you're supposed to be, and you've got a chance to now, uh, you know, I don't want to say overachieve if they beat Utah, but certainly overachieve with respect to the preseason expectations. You know, maybe not the reevaluated expectations once you uh, had things rolling, but certainly uh, would be would be impressive considering where they came into the season. You know. And, yeah, I mean, look, I think Utah's a coin flip game. I think I like their opportunity, if you will, against Utah. I saw a little bit of the game that Utah played against Princeton, and Princeton, as a 10 seed, gave them everything that they could handle, especially late in that ball game. But the Utes were able to pull away and get the win. And, and we talked about that possibly being a coin flip. Even Kim Mulkey talked about that about who was going to be the two seed in that region, who was going to be the three seed, Dawson. So it's a evenly matched contest. I like LSU's chances in that. But, you know, the big thing is is that they're, they are going to have to shoot the ball a little bit better. Once again, in last night's game, even though they won it comfortably 66-42, to 42, and they did so because they were very good defensively, and they out-rebounded the Wolverines by 20. It was... 46 to 26 advantage in favor of LSU, but the Tigers only shot 35.3% from the field, right? So, and they didn't shoot the ball necessarily great against Hawaii, especially early on. They shot 31.6% from three point range in the win last night as well. So, for me, for them to Take that next step. And look, it's great. You get to a Sweet 16. It's called the Sweet 16 for a reason because only 16 teams get to do it, Dawson. But for them to take that next step, they're going to have to get some more shots to fall. And last night, it started off a little bit slow, in particular from three-point range. But Kim Mulkey was asked afterwards how much of a relief it was for to start seeing those three-point shots, uh, shots rather actually fall through the net in last night's game. Yes, the relief was the timing of hitting the threes. We had taken some. Alexis was, what you know, she was kind of hesitant after she missed a few, and Flage was not real happy at herself for missing a few. Uh, and so I thought, if they're going to stay in this zone, let me give Jazz a look. And uh, she came out just smoking, and uh, she wanted to go back in. I'm ready, Coach. I'm ready. I said, I know you are, Jazz. I know you are. Uh, but the flow of the game dictates, you know, when you go in the game. But, man, she, she's – She's our hero. I mean, she came in and, and did her job. She was talking, about, of course, about Flojay Johnson, who did a nice job after having a sluggish start. She ended up with 
eight points in the game, but also had six rebounds. And look, everything got, got kind of sprinkled in here. I mean, we talked about Angel Reese, 25 and 24, but Ladeja Williams, she had 10 and 10 in this ball game. They got 11 points from Alexis Morris, who started off extremely cold, and she was still 0 for 5 from three-point range, but she started getting going there in the third quarter, and then in the fourth quarter started kind of finding her stroke, so to speak. It's very similar to what it was on Friday with her in the game against Hawaii, but they're going to need Alexis to definitely play better if they're going to want to make a run. What is locked in right now and what was evident Friday night inside the PMAC and what was evident again last night in the win against Michigan was their defense. I mean, they are playing at such a good level right now. They were able to hold Michigan to 34.8% from the field. It was the lowest first quarter total for the Wolverines this season. It was also the lowest halftime total for the Wolverines this season. And that was because of just how good and physical their defense was. And Melky was asked, hey, is this the best defensive performance you're seeing from your team these last couple of games all season? We were definitely locked in. I don't know if I would just categorize it as the best. It was good. It was darn good because we really didn't shoot it good. You look at the, you know, until we got to the, what, the third, oh, actually it was the fourth quarter, we started relaxing and hitting some of those threes. Uh, Jasmine handled herself like a trooper. She knew exactly why Kateri started, and it had nothing to do with anything but size. We knew they were bigger on the perimeter, and I wanted size in there, and I don't hesitate to put her in. They played a lot of zone, and I told her to go in there, and you get open, fire it, and she came out on fire, and, and it was so big. It was so big. It was so big. They got great contributions, like I said, from a lot of different people. And it was a total team effort in both games. And look, it, this is a team that had lofty goals. Making it to the Sweet 16 is a great accomplishment for Kim Mulkey's team. And they'll move on to face Utah on Friday. Uh, Dawson, look, they set the record for most wins in a season, they set the record for most consecutive wins in a season. Angel Reese sets the record for most double-doubles in a season. And look, here they are year two, way ahead of schedule. I think we can all admit to that, that in year two they're making it to the Sweet 16. But when you see this team play and you saw this team play over the weekend, because I know you, you looked into it and you, you checked it out, what kind of chance do you give them to making, making it to, rather, the Final Four in Dallas? Yeah, there's certainly a shot. And, you know... The funny thing about it is uh, you talk about the women's bracket. Sometimes chalk holds up. That was evident in the first round, but the second round saw a huge upset. The number one seed, Stanford, went down to Ole Miss. So that, unfortunately, doesn't help LSU, uh, not their side of the bracket. So it's uh, certainly going to help maybe a team like Iowa, who is the two seed over there, now just had a big opening happen in their bracket. But there's still a chance for something like that to happen. We'll see what happens when Indiana takes on Miami tonight. Um, Florida Gulf Coast, again, a team that I mentioned being pretty underseeded who beat Washington State. They'll play Villanova. Um, but you got to get past Utah first to, again, uh, I think we'd call it a coin flip game, a team that's only lost four games all year. So you get through that one, and then, again, maybe you get some help on the other side of the bracket towards the top with Indiana, maybe falling before you have to face them. Or if you go up against them, maybe you play your best game, and that's what, what it'll probably take to, to, meet, to reach the Final Four. So Kim Mulkey's team punches their ticket to the Sweet 16. Once again, that'll be in Greenville. They'll play that game on Friday. We'll find out the times 
probably later tonight, more than likely in the morning, because the women's uh, opening weekend will wrap up with a slate of games this afternoon and this evening as they play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, while the men play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. we got to take a timeout. When we return, World Baseball Classic, USA, who had struggled really, kind of looked lackluster early in the World Baseball Classic. They finally get it together. Trey Turner decides to be the best player on the face of the planet. They clobber Cuba to advance to the World Baseball Classic final, but also over the weekend, USA faced Venezuela and Houston Astros star, the heartbeat of the team, the leader of the team, Jose Altuve, suffers a broken bone. He's going to be out for months. We'll talk about both of those things coming up next right here on The Game as we broadcast live from Farm D'Alley Golf Club in Karen Crow. This is RP3 and Company on The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the World Baseball Classic. It has been, dare I say, a classic. It has lived up to its billing. And Team USA has finally begun to play to its potential. They were one of the favorites, obviously, the defending champs. And Dawson, after a few lackluster, let's say, warm-up games, I guess would be the best way to describe it, right? They finally started playing to their potential, and they look, have looked like absolute world beaters the last few games. Wins over Venezuela, and then they just absolutely clobbered poor Cuba yesterday, 14-2. to And, you know, Trey Turner been playing phenomenal. All of a sudden, he's become the most powerful hitter on the team. What do you make of what you're seeing from Team USA here in the World Baseball Classic as they've punched their ticket now to the finals, which will be held Tuesday night? Well, part of getting it going was getting Trey Turner in the lineup because, if you'll remember, they kind of inexplicably had Jeff McNeil playing when you look back at it um, in the first couple of games, uh, specifically that game that our friend Kevin Foote was yelling about. But (laughs) Trey Turner comes in and gives him a spark. And, I mean, look, that game against Venezuela, you know, the game yesterday against Cuba ended up getting out of hand and it wasn't good. But that game against Venezuela was – one of the better baseball games I've watched in a long time. And I actually didn't get to see the whole thing because uh, I was checking out the monster trucks that came back to the Cajun Dome on Saturday. But oh, shout out to you for the monster trucks. Got to see a good bit of it and, of course, kind of went back and watched that and then saw the last couple innings the way they played out. And Trey Turner's Grand Slam, one of the most electric moments uh, that I can remember going back, you know, of course, to the Astros World Series a year ago. But... It was uh, it was something to see, and the way kind of the reaction that he had. Of course, there were a couple of cool camera angles that they showed afterwards that kind of captured that moment, and so that was special. And you know, look for Venezuela; it, it ends up being a tough way to go out. And Altuve has the injury; he's hit on the hand. Looks like he's going to be out a couple months. Um, as the at least Astros yeah. fan of the show, I'm not concerned. It is fine. This doesn't mean we have to cancel fun things. We can still play. Baseball has injuries, and this could have very easily happened 
in a spring training game. Instead, it happened in a much more entertaining one. But um, he will be back. I think certainly you'll miss his bat in the lineup for a while. But I think uh, until someone proves that they can challenge the Astros in the AL West, I don't think there's any cause for concern, to be honest with you. So you're not concerned at all, even with the Astros typically having some slow starts to the season. And now you're not going to have Altuve there. You'll have his leadership, as you and I discussed. He'll still be there providing leadership. He'll just be doing it from the dugout, right? He won't be away from the team. That's just not his style. So you don't think he's going to be missed at all here in the first couple months? And don't forget... The Seattle Mariners were a wild card team from a year ago, and they were the only team that really pushed the Astros in the playoffs. No, look, they'll act, they'll miss his his presence and his bat in the lineup. I, I don't mean that. I just think bigger picture. I don't think it's nearly as big a deal as you would have been led to believe from the reaction that happened when it when it happened. Um, I think. Look, history. Well, he tells is the you, heartbeat of the team. So yeah, I mean, certainly. if 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 I mean it. If, if you lose the guy that is your leader and the guy that is the heartbeat of the team, people are going to have the reaction that they had also. I mean, you can't be too surprised by that. I mean, it's Jose Altuve, yeah. right? It's yeah, not, not surprised by it. You just... know, it's, 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 it's not Forrest Whitley, mm-hmm. right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you have to – I mean, two months is a long time. It, it, is, it is a long time. Do I think the Astros are equipped, Dawson – to handle such things? Oh, absolutely. I mean, absolutely. The organization, the depth that they have, I think puts them in a, in a position that a lot of other teams do not have, right? They, they can absorb this, and we've seen them do this before. They had Alex Bregman out in the last couple of years, right? He missed some time. Carlos Correa missed a significant amount of time. Um, they've had guys miss time, right? And somebody always finds a way to step up. Um, so I'm not really concerned by that as, as much as maybe some others are, but it is going to be a blow to them and they're going to have to, you know, some, some early season obstacles, which may not be a bad thing for a team trying to repeat either. Is it? I mean, no, think not. about it that way, right? When, when you're trying to repeat, your biggest hurdle is the mental, right? The, the, the mental aspect of, okay. Yeah, we're the defending champs. Yeah, we're the best team. Yeah, we went to six straight ALCSs and been four World Series, and we've won two of them. So, you know, we're the best team in baseball. But when you lose someone like Jose for, you know, what we anticipate being eight to nine weeks, so at least two months, and you'll probably then have to let him go through some rehab assignments uh, down with Sugarland for uh, a week or so. So you probably will miss him for about two and a half months. And... But this can kind of galvanize the team, right? This can force some of those other guys to really step it up. This could help Michael Brantley get back on track a little bit quicker. There's going to be a bit of a focus, right, about this team right out the gates that maybe they wouldn't have had if he hadn't got hurt. Not to try to be glass half full guy, but for a team trying to repeat, you're always trying to find an edge. You're always trying to find that advantage, even though you've got one of the best rosters in all of baseball. Maybe this is something that can kind of give them that, so to speak, especially early in the season. Yeah, another thing to remember, Jose Altuve averaging over the past five seasons, he's averaging around 130, 135 games a season. So you figure with the timeline that we were given, he'll miss maybe about 40 games in this scenario. 
So, I mean, he's still, if he stays healthy the rest of the way, won't be too far off of what his average number of games played has been over the last five years. And it's not the worst thing in the world to get a 33-year-old some rest. Uh, he's, he's not going to have to play the first couple months, and maybe he's a little fresher towards the end of the season because, again, uh, he's been, you know, one of the more durable, reliable second basemen for the last 10 years. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that, you know, you talk about load management in the NBA. Well, now you get some uh, load management unintentionally by not having Jose Altuve worn down over the first two months of the season. I don't think it's the worst thing, and I think you get a chance. You know, look, there's going to be a couple of guys that fill in. Maybe it'll be David Hensley playing a little bit more. I, I think they'll be fine. And, yeah, maybe this ends up could be a blessing in disguise by the end of it. I agree. And we're going to get an entertaining finale as well. Once again, I question the format of the schedule for the World Baseball Classic. I think that's something that's, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, a little flawed. Yeah, and how about the, (laughs) so we talked the whole time about how the one side of the bracket was flipped. Well, now Japan and Mexico play today. And then they have to play again on Tuesday, the winner does. It makes no sense. (laughs) It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. So the U.S., We'll wait to see who they get to play next. Is it going to be Mexico who beat them in group stage and pool play, or is it going to be Japan? Japan-Mexico face off tonight. The winner advances to the championship round to face off Team USA on Tuesday night. We'll talk more about that as the week progresses as well. Got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll unveil the poll question of the day that's right, we're still having the poll question of the day, even though I'm out here broadcasting from Farm D Alley. And, of course, d is back in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Doesn't mean that we're going to let you down and not have a poll question. That's coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. D-Lo's back in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. I'm broadcasting live from the Farm D'Alley. That's right, up here in the clubhouse. We're here today, of course, for a great cause. And that, of course, is the Charity Golf Scramble. The Game Charity Golf Scramble, brought to you by The Game, as well as Courtesy Bro Bridge. And it's all, what we're doing today is all benefiting Red Bird Ministries. Okay, a great cause will be out here today. I'll be on one of the greens attempting to make putts for people. Really, I'm, I'm, I'm there to give them golf balls and let them feel better about themselves, Dawson, after they see how I attempt to putt or attempt to play golf. They'll be like, whew, I thought my game was in trouble. And they'll be like, no, no, there'll be none of that. This guy is ten times worse than I am. It's going to be a nice, uh, crisp, what, 38 degrees this morning? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's nice, but the folks here at the farm, uh, James and his team have been uh, nothing but great to us this morning. Um, they made sure to have the heaters on, um, so we are nice and toasty inside. 
Uh, but if uh, currently outside, the temperature is around, yes, 37 degrees. <laughs> so. I think it's actually 30, I just checked. But it should get up into the low to mid-50s in yeah, the so uh, early afternoon. So It's, it's supposed to be some to. sunshine. Yeah, we'll be good. We'll be good. Poll question of the day. Of course, we spent hour number one talking about the NCAA tournament. Uh, the first weekend was nothing but madness. Two one-seeds, two two-seeds are eliminated. They're gone. And... Everyone's brackets are officially busted. We also talked about the LSU women getting a hard-fought win. Well, early it was hard-fought. Then they kind of polished off Michigan. They advanced to the Sweet 16. And, of course, World Baseball Classic and Jose Altuve's injury. He'll be out now for a couple of months. Not optimal if you're an Astros fan. But poll question of the day is about that madness we spoke of. With the first round now in the books, who is the new favorite to win the NCAA men's basketball tournament? Is it Houston? who survived the first round. The second round, they looked awful in that first half against Auburn, but they found themselves, rallied, outplayed Auburn. Whew, just wasn't even close in the second half to advance to the Sweet 16. Is it Alabama, the number one overall seed for the tournament? Miller was, well, scoreless in the first game. They didn't really need him. They really didn't need him all that much in the second game either. Is it Texas, a two seed? Man, they've looked good so far. And UCLA, despite having not one but two injuries, they move on to the Sweet 16. Right now, 57% of you say Alabama, 36% say Houston, 7% voting for UCLA, and no votes yet for the fighting Danny Joneses. He has not woke up yet, and I'm sure once he does, he will go vote on the poll question and have all of his Longhorn alum vote as well. Keep voting on the poll question of the day and we'll update it and share it with you throughout today's show. Hour number one in the books, hour number two coming up right here. This is RP3 and Company on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and company oh man we are broadcasting live from farm the alley golf club here in karen crow because today is the games charity golf scramble we're partnering up with courtesy pro bridge of course to put on this event for red bird ministries excited about that that'll be taking place around lunchtime today a whole delta media team will be out here helping out it'll be a great time i'm here at the farm of course Dawson Iserlow, a.k.a. D'Lo, is back in the game studios there in the Evco Development Studios, to be exact, there in Upper Lafayette. And uh, Mr. Iserlow, uh, you know, we got one hour in the books, bud. Do you already miss me? Are you are you missing us? Are you missing me? Because, you know, Kevin's not going to be out. And Kevin's not going to be in the studio either. He's going to have to be out here with me. So are you going to be okay with that, bud? Yeah, no, it's great because uh, I don't have to turn the lights on in the big studio, so saving electricity, and you know I don't love lights anyway, so it's less light, so it's great. <laughs> yes, you love to be in the darkness, as you like to say. 
<laughs> Sometimes when it's five in the morning, when dark. it's five in the morning, yeah, because I should be in bed. So when I'm here instead, I uh, like to be in the darkness. That's true. To be in the darkness, in the darkness, he is. Um, madness was everything this past weekend in the NCAA tournament. And we've had now two one seeds, two two seeds that have been eliminated. The one seeds, of course, being Purdue to Fairleigh Dickinson, probably the biggest upset in NCAA history, or at least NCAA tournament history, modern history since the seeding began. You had Kansas, obviously without Bill Self there, be eliminated as well. They're gone. Marquette, a trendy pick to make it to the Final Four as well, is gone. And you have that. And then we have another two-seed go down. So two twos, two ones are eliminated from the NCAA tournament. And we had some other seeds go down. Double-digit seeds are plenty. And I'm looking at my bracket right here. And I'm going, okay, well, Houston, they're banged up, but they still have a great chance. They've somehow found a way to get to the Sweet 16. I think that matchup with Miami is going to be troublesome. I actually pick Miami to win that game in advance to the lead eight. We'll see if that actually happens um, or if Houston has kind of found themselves after being tested and on the brink of elimination when Auburn was able to take them uh, to the brink. And it looked like the Tigers were going to be eliminating the Cougs. On that end of the bracket, the Midwest bracket, Houston still looks like a, a, a contender. Miami, you know, they're a Sweet 16 team from a year ago. They get back there. Xavier, they had their hands full with Pitt, but they found a way to advance. Texas is a two seed. They also have a great chance to make a run there. I actually like Texas to win that region and make their way to the Final Four which, of course, for the men, will be in Houston. The women's Final Four is going to be in Dallas. So that's the Midwest region. Dawson, out of the Midwest, I have all of my Sweet 16 matchups still there. Who do you like coming out of the Midwest? Well, I, I think... I don't. I, it's tough. I Miami would be the first team I would rule out of that region, actually. Um, and I know they looked pretty good. So why are you so down on the Hurricanes? Well, it's it's more of a matter of just being up on the other teams. Now they do have a great opportunity to beat Houston because I think we've seen that team uh, not necessarily put things together. But on the other hand, they played their best half of the tournament in the last half against Auburn and ended up winning that game by 17 points. So maybe they seem to figure something out. I think Sasser's injury was certainly a question. He got pulled from that first game. and Everyone had some questions. Remember, they struggled with Northern Kentucky, which was something we weren't expecting. Um, and Correct. then he's pulled from the game. They had another injury as well, but then they ended up playing him in the second game. And for all things considered, he looked pretty good in that second game. So if he's going to be healthy enough, he gets another week here to kind of sit back and relax again. You get five days off in between these these rounds. So... He's going to be hopefully fresh for them, and I, I like Houston's chances against Miami. I think Miami would just have to go through two really good teams, and I think Xavier and Texas on the other side. You know, Xavier get, got everything they could handle from Kennesaw State in that first-round matchup, which was one that we kind of previewed here a little bit. We, we thought Kennesaw State could get them some problems, and they did. Double-digit lead at throughout much of that game for the Owls, but 
Xavier weathers the storm and then looks much sharper against Pitt. Um, kind of controls controls the flow of that game. So they're playing better. We know that they have Sean Miller, who has a pedigree in this tournament. So, you know, that's interesting. But Texas is just kind of the team that's been all reliable all season. They've played at a high level. Um, they had to deal with the drama of their coach having allegations against them. They ended up firing him. The interim coach takes over. They haven't had any issues still winning ball games. Um, and they looked good in the first round against Colgate and backed it up against one of the hottest teams in the tournament in Penn State. So you can make an argument for any of these four. Right now, I'd stick with Texas uh, just because of Same how here. well they're playing and the lack of injuries, whereas Houston, I know that Houston started to figure things out, but I'm going to need to see it. And again, we might see it against Miami. If we see Sasser look really good again against Miami, then I think we don't have to worry as much anymore. But for now, I'm still going to you know, hold a little doubt there and, and think Texas is the favorite in this region. And I, I think Sasser's injury and how well he plays. Now he's going to have another week off, right? Essentially, they're going to, you know, slowly bring him along. If they come out and they beat Miami and Sasser looks good, I think that's going to maybe change a lot of people's perception of what Houston could do. Because the big question mark for Houston, who in many stretches this year appeared to be the best team in the country, Dawson, right? Just not in the state of Texas, the best team in the country. If Sasser is healthy, you can then kind of go, go look back at them and go, okay, the Cougars have a great chance to win, you know, get to the Final Four and win the national championship in their hometown, right? So I do still like Texas, but I'm going to keep an eye on Sasser and can he be healthy enough to help the Cougars make a run. Now let's go down to the West. Let's stay on that side of the bracket. We still, both of us still like Texas to come out of the Midwest. The West, total disruption, right? Kansas is eliminated. VCU, who was a trendy team, they don't get out of the first round against St. Mary's. UConn, though, was a team that a lot of folks liked and a lot of national people liked. Now, even with Kansas out, we still have UConn. We still have Gonzaga, who loves being underseeded, if you will. The pressures of being the one or the two seed aren't there for the Zags. They're the three seed. I think they kind of relish this, right? I think they like being under the radar. Like when they first got onto the scene about 20 years ago, they were kind of the under the radar team. And UCLA thought would trip up against Northwestern because they have injuries to not one but two of their star players. But the Bruins find a way. So you still have UConn, Gonzaga, and UCLA in the West. Now that we're through the first weekend, who do you like coming out of the West region? Well, that's a region where my original picks are still alive, so I will stick with Gonzaga, which is what I said, and you kind of mentioned the reason that I talked about last week, which was felt like they uh, had a little bit of the pressure off and they could play in that way. Now, they were challenged tremendously by TCU yesterday and ended up having to kind of put it, put together a really good second half to win that game, um, but the Horn Frogs, of course, coming out of the Big 12, which we uh, talked about as being the best conference this season, so certainly a good win there. UCLA handles Northwestern. Uh, the other side of this is really intriguing because, of course, Arkansas upsets Kansas, so now you start to feel like the bracket is even more wide open than it was originally. Um, I think UConn has probably played the best of any of these teams in this region through two games uh, just because of how dominant they've been. But on the same hand, Arkansas beat the much better team in Kansas. So you can make an argument for Eric Musselman's team as the favorite in that matchup. Um, we'll see what, you know, and I haven't taken a look at the lines of the spreads or anything like that, which I think it'll be really interesting. UConn presents some issues for teams inside. If they're not ready to play, you know, a physical brand of defense against the Huskies, it's tough. Absolutely. 
So I think UConn, for me, is, is going to be the team that comes out of that top side of the bracket, and then they'll face Gonzaga, and I think the Zags get it done. I think they come under the radar for the first time in a long time and uh, make it back to the Final Four. I still have the team representing the West available, and that's Gonzaga. That's who I had. I actually had UConn beating Kansas in the Sweet 16 anyway. Um, I am going to be intrigued to see that Arkansas-UConn game because, man, that, that, those are going to be some interesting styles going up against each other. You mentioned UConn, what they can do down low. Gonzaga, UCLA, whew, that's a good West Coast game if there ever was one. So I think both of those Sweet 16 games are going to be amazing. But I still like Gonzaga to move on to face Texas in the Final Four, as I originally had on my bracket. So you and I are in agreement here. Texas out of the Midwest, Gonzaga out of the West region. Let's flip to the other side of the bracket which is nothing but just terror and horror for everyone. <laughs> Let's start with the East. Purdue, I had winning the whole thing. That's what I get for trusting the Boilermakers. And as I said on Twitter over the weekend, if I ever predict Purdue to make a deep NCAA tournament run again, everyone is allowed to call me a big dummy on the Bird app. Boilermakers are out. Duke. Another one of those betting line favorites everyone fell in love with because of how well they were playing and how they won the ACC tournament. They get bounced by Tennessee. K-State takes care of Kentucky, another early exit for the Wildcats under John Calipari, by the way. We'll have a discussion about that another day. And Tom Izzo's Michigan State team, kind of a up-and-down so-so season. There was one point, Dawson, they didn't even look like they were going to make the NCAA tournament. Sparty, though, finds a way. They upset the two-seed Marquette. So the one-seed, the two-seed, and the popular five-seed Duke are all gone out of this, including another blue blood in Kentucky. Who do you like to represent the East now? Yeah, so now, you know, with, with things kind of being reevaluated and, and who's left, I like Kansas State. And I think, look, Michigan State's actually an early one-point favorite over the uh, Wildcats. Um, I think that's an instance of people trusting what Tom Izzo's been able to do in March, and I understand that because he has the pedigree and that team's been there before. But Kansas State's the better basketball team, and they, at least they have been for the you know the course of the season. So I like Kansas State in that matchup. On the other side, I don't fully trust either FAU or Tennessee because I've seen Tennessee play both their games now, and I still don't think they have a ton of offense. If there's a team that's able to get hot against them, now, look, part, part of what the Volunteers do is they're so good defensively that they don't allow that to happen very often. But if somebody's able to get hot against them, I think they're going to beat them, and maybe handedly, to be honest with you. Now, FAU, on the other hand, had to you know play an absolute battle against Memphis. Maybe that carried over a little bit as they played a less talented Farley Dickinson team. That certainly was playing with a lot of confidence as they struggled in that one as well. They can present some offensive issues for Tennessee, perhaps, uh, but either team that gets out of that matchup I think falls to the winner of Kansas State, Michigan State. So I'll pick the Wildcats, but if I had to go with the second team, it'd be the Spartans. I, uh, I just don't trust either FAU or Tennessee at this point. I agree with you. I, I think the winner of the East is going to come out of the bottom part of the region. Uh, K-State versus Michigan State, one of those teams is going to win. I trust them more, uh, but obviously that region has been nothing but chaos and, you know, the one seed, the two seed, the five seed are, are all gone. But I do agree with you. Uh, Michigan State, K-State have been playing better. And, and look, this is not a knock on Tennessee. But, you know, and, and look, Tennessee kind of just beat up Duke. And that was not a close game. So wouldn't be surprised if the Volunteers, if they continue playing to their potential, because they're such a defensive-minded team, if they get out of the East as well. But I like the bottom part of that region now to reset. And finally, 
that leaves the South. It was nothing but chaos across the board. And Alabama was the number one overall seed for the entire tournament. They're the one seed in the South. Arizona, gone. Baylor, gone. So your two and your three seeds have both been eliminated. Four seed has been eliminated in Virginia as well. Alabama survives. Maryland, they move on. Are you picking anybody else but the Crimson Tide to win the South? No, but uh, but I do think San Diego State can present some problems to them. Um, the much maligned Mountain West Conference that hasn't had great success in the tourney recently but put another four teams in it has finally broken through a little bit with the Aztecs here. They beat College of Charleston, who was maybe the trendiest upset pick of all the first round. Mm, that's um, not they true. Handled, they handled their business there, and then, of course, they get the matchup with Furman, who stunned Virginia, and they dominated Furman. That game wasn't really close from the start. They kind of flexed a little bit in that one. So Alabama still is the uh, team to beat here, but I would not be surprised if San Diego State can cause them more trouble than either you know, A&M Corpus Christi or Maryland did in the first couple of rounds. At the bottom, Pr- Princeton is kind of the uh, feel-good Ivy League story, a team that you know, maybe we're going to have to start paying more attention to the Ivy League, although that conference doesn't tend to do great in non-conference to start the season. They always play well come tournament time. It doesn't feel like anybody gets an easy out against the Ivy League champs. And this year was no exception. Princeton took down Arizona in the first round and then followed it up by, like I said, really dominated Missouri. That was a strange game how well how, how well Princeton was able to handle Missouri's high-flying offense, hold them to 63 points. So they get a matchup with Creighton, who's a team that's kind of gone under the radar, but again has been consistent. Handled NC State in the first round in a 6-11 matchup and then pretty much dominated Baylor by uh, with a nine-point victory over them in the second round. So... Creighton and Princeton, of course, I think you'd probably favor Creighton. This is the time of the year where it tends to be around midnight for the Cinderella stories. Um, but like St. Peter's, we've seen that sometimes you can get one more big win out of them. So we'll see if Princeton's able to do that. But Bama's certainly the favorite. Just keep an eye on the Aztecs in that Sweet 16 matchup. That does lead us to our poll question of the day. Now that the first weekend is in the books, who do you like now? Who's your favorite to win the NCAA tournament? Is it Bama? Is it Texas? Is it UCLA or is it Gonzaga? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter and we'll share them throughout the remainder of today's show as we broadcast live from Farm to Alley Golf Club as we're going to be gearing up for the Game Charity Golf Scramble, pairing up with Courtesy Bro Bridge as this event will help benefit Redbird Ministries. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and Company coming up right here on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. Casting live from Farm Daily Golf Club. We're here today for the game charity golf scramble presented by the game. And of course, 
courtesy Bro Bridge. All proceeds from today's golf scramble are going to benefit Red Bird Ministries, a great cause, and we're happy to be here. Of course, I'm here at the farm. Kevin Foote will be at the farm, which means D-Lo will be back in the Evco Development Studios there in Upper Lafayette. Dawson, it's uh, 725. Do you miss us, bud? Are, are, are you enjoying the darkness? You've asked that before. Uh, still okay. I'm just double-checking. Yeah, I'm double-checking, no, that's, that's fair. That's fair. We're okay over here. Um, it's okay to not have to face anyone when I made the picks that I made last week on air, so <laughs> that part of being alone is not so bad. Oh, man. Well, look, we've talked a lot about the NCAA tournament, and rightfully so, right? It was the opening round for both the men and the women. We did a deep dive onto the bracket and now kind of resetting things, so to speak, on the men's side. We talked about the LSU women's basketball team punching their ticket to the Sweet 16. Let's talk while we have a chance here about college baseball. Let's start with those Louisiana Raging Cajuns, if you will, because Dawson, they open up Sunbelt Conference play with, uh, well, a convincing sweep. They looked really, really good over the weekend. And Coach Matt Deggs afterwards talked about his team taking down Arkansas State in all three games and getting the weekend sweep to start off Sunbelt Conference play. It's a lot better than last year, isn't it? Uh, it's kind of flipped the, the page. And, and a lot of times you got to take advantage of what's in front of you. And that's how you win leagues. And we've been fortunate to win some leagues. And you know, you, you, you get after it at home, you avoid disaster on the road, and you kind of just stay steady and pick up one that's unexpected along the way. And so to come out with a, a sweep on the first weekend, doesn't matter who you're playing. You see, it doesn't matter because everybody's got an arm. Everybody uh, can find a hole. Uh, it's just about grinding that, that 30 games out. And so, yeah, to answer your question, that, that is uh, gigantic. Matt Deggs there talking about getting the sweep. What stood out to you about what the Raging Cajuns were able to do on the diamond this past weekend, Dawson? Well, a couple different ways to win games. Um, pretty dominant in the first couple, scoring a lot of runs. The offense did not waste any time. They scored seven runs in the very first inning of this series. That kind of set the tone. And then they came back on Sunday and did it with Jackson Neza with a fantastic start. So you kind of have um, you know the best of both worlds there. You saw the offense really explode through two games. And then on Sunday when Arkansas State had a little bit better performance on the mound, you were able to grind one out. So, you know, won some games in some different ways. Now, of course, Arkansas State's not the best team you're going to play, not close to it in Sunbelt play. But um, as Coach Deggs mentioned, it's still baseball. It's still tough to win series and certainly tough to sweep anyone. So... That's a great start, and they'll uh, they'll look to build on that. It's a great start. I don't believe Arkansas State's very good. I, mean, I think we can admit to that. But here's the thing. You always just want to go out there and win your weekend series is what you want to do. And the fact that they were able to go out there and sweep is absolutely phenomenal. And look, sometimes you have to go out there, and as great as this lineup is, and we've talked about how great it is, and how formidable it is. Sometimes you got to go out there and claw and scratch a victory. And Heath Hood, after yesterday's game, when they were able to complete the sweep, talked about sometimes, look, sometimes you're going to have to go out there and earn the win. Yeah, so Jackson, got to tip your hat to that guy. He pitched outstanding, unbelievable what he did today on the mound. 
as a hitting staff, you know, you want to back them up, but sometimes it doesn't fall your way. So you just scratch and claw and fight for as many runs as you can on a day like today where we don't put up double digits. So you really just got to take advantage of any opportunity you can to help out a guy that's throwing like Jackson did today. I like what I see out of this Raging Cajun team. The pitching will need to continue to develop. I think I think they're taking strides in that direction. But they get a clean sweep over the weekend against the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Matt Degg's team begins conference play 3-0, and which is a great start for them. And you heard him talk about it earlier that, you know, hey, that's a big difference between what they did last year. Let's talk about the LSU baseball team. They absolutely clobbered. Texas A&M on the road to begin SEC playing the first two games and it looked like Dawson that they were on their way to getting the sweep themselves but they kind of let the game get away from them late they walked I think it was seven or eight batters in yesterday's game that proved to be critical especially in the later innings when they gave up the lead and A&M took advantage and was able to avoid being swept still the number one ranked team in the country uh, I don't think losing a game on the road against a top 25 opponent is necessarily, you know, that much of a warning sign, especially after they played how they played rather the first two games. No, it's not. Um, it, you know, the only thing you'll take from that is maybe the bullpen issues, kind of the concerns there, have some merit to them. But yeah, um, yeah you're certainly not going to drop very much. They're going to remain the number one team in the country, as you mentioned. You're on the you're on the road against the top twenty five teams, so winning the series was already a pretty impressive accomplishment. Um, it's kind of tough to swallow for them when they were right there, right there on the door of a sweep, which would have been a big yep. statement to start SEC play. But it's certainly no cause for uh, too much concern. They just need to try and keep getting things in the bullpen short up. But again, you're playing a team that has a really good lineup, an A and M that's you know not going to get swept very often by anyone. So. Sometimes those things kind of go against you in those situations. So LSU takes two or three on the road against Texas A&M, and that's a very good Texas A&M team, a a team, mind you, that went to the College World Series a year ago. We've talked about their first three conference series for LSU, A&M, Arkansas, Tennessee. Two of those three made it to the College World Series last year, and Tennessee was the number one overall seed. They got upset before they could get to Omaha. So the Tigers are definitely – going to be tested here early on and so far taking two or three on the road in college station is a great start and finally the McNeese baseball team you know they had a slow start to the season right we talked about that Dawson and yet they've really come on of late they split two games with the Raging Cajuns they've begun uh, you know they've been able to go out there and get weekend series after weekend series and this last weekend was no different Uh, Josh Leslie capped off a stellar weekend at the plate by knocking in five runs after going three for five at the plate to help McNeese to a 9-4 victory over Yale. We were talking about the Ivy League earlier for basketball and completing the weekend sweep. The victory now improves McNeese to 15-5 and on the season. Remember, they lost in the majority of those games in the first week and a half of the season. So they're now 15-5 and on the season. That matches the second-best record through 20 games in school history. And they have now won their 11th straight at home. And McNeese is one of those teams, you know, they started off a little sluggish. There was going to be questions about their pitching, their starting pitching, and in particular their bullpen. We knew they could hit. And there's a lot of similarities between McNeese, for me, and the Raging Cajuns. And Justin Hill's team, man, they get the job done, complete the weekend series sweep as well. 
Yeah, and then they're getting geared up for Southland play that begins this week, so they'll get incarnate word. And the uh, Southland Conference, certainly the weaker of the three when you consider the SEC, the Sun Belt, and the Southland. So I think McNeese has a chance to kind of, I don't want to say dominate conference play, but certainly be up near the top. And Southeastern, of course, is a pretty good program as well that should oh, give yeah. them some competition. But uh, this team should finish in the top two or three of the league, and I think they'll get off to a good start this weekend against Incarnate Word. Can put the college baseball talk aside just briefly because when we return here in RP3 and company, Jeff Palermo, our buddy from Tiger Rag Radio, will join us. We'll talk LSU women punching their ticket to the Sweet 16. We'll talk the LSU baseball team taking two or three on the road and college station and so much more. That's coming up next right here on the game. This is RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company as we're broadcasting live from Farm D Alley here for the Game Charity Golf Scramble presented by The Game as well as Courtesy Bro Bridge. All proceeds from the Golf Scramble today, of course, benefit Red Bird Ministries. D'Lo is back in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. We've had a very jam-packed show so far. We talked about the NCAA Men's Tournament. We talked about the NCAA Women's Tournament. We talked about the World Baseball Classic. Jose Altuve's injury. He's going to be out for two months. And we even were able to touch on some college baseball over the weekend. We're going to touch on a few of those subjects with our first guest today. He is the Sports and News Director for the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also our good friend from Tiger Rag Radio. Jeff Palermo joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Uh, doing well, Raymond. How about yourself? I am doing outstanding, brother. Let me tell you, the PMAC was electric on Friday and even more so last night. Let's start there with the LSU women's basketball team. They didn't shoot the ball particularly well in either game, and it didn't matter in either game because the opposing teams had no answer for Angel Reese, and LSU was able to be the more athletic and in particular, in last night's win over Michigan, despite having three bigs that they were facing over six foot tall, they were the more physical team, and they dominated the glass. Yeah, there was uh, certainly uh, for Angel Reese. Uh, I don't know if maybe getting uh, hit hit in the uh, mouth uh, on the first play or first possession <laughs> of the game kind of uh, fired her up, fired her up even more. But uh, she was ready to play yesterday. She was determined that they would get a win. You're right, Raymond. They really didn't shoot the ball well in uh, both of the games. But, man, did they crush Michigan on the glass. And this team can really be a very good defensive team. I mean, they can get they can get steals, deflections, uh, and then they can turn that quickly into transition points the other way. And we saw that yesterday, uh, in particular, against Michigan. So, 
um, you know, not too many people are able to match up with um, with Angel Reese. I mean, uh, Tennessee and South Carolina are really the maybe you could say the, the two teams that have been able to kind of slow her down, um, and that's about it. So, uh, you know, even though Michigan was the more veteran team, uh, a team that made it all the way to the Elite Eight, they didn't have a player like Angel Reese, and they really they didn't have an answer for her, especially on the glass. She was just uh, – just unbelievable uh, when it comes to uh, rebounding last night. Well, and she told us afterwards in the, in the press conference, hey, Jeff, she's like, yeah, I got a lot of those rebounds because I was uh, missing, uh, I was rebounding yeah. my own missed shots. Right. And, you know, she, she struggled, right? She struggled with uh, being able to make uh, make her shots in, in last night's game. She didn't have a particularly effective game, if you will, because I'm looking at the box score right in front of me, and she was 8 of 23. Right, and, and they they shot the ball only thirty five point three percent in this ball game. Alexis Morris, once again, another slow start for her. She was able to heat up there in the third and the fourth quarter, and ended up with eleven points. Ladeja Williams got him ten and ten as well. She she recorded a double double. Why do you think this team, despite playing at home, and despite having the best player on the court in Angel Reese, why do you think they struggled to shoot the ball in the first two games of the NCAA tournament? Well, you know, Kim Mulkey addressed that after the win against Hawaii and just kind of chalked it up to, hey, you know, one of those days when it comes to basketball and just not shooting the ball well. And, uh, you know, in the game against um, Hawaii on Friday, Hawaii really they kind of played like a zone defense or a, kind of a soft man-to-man, and they packed mm-hmm. the paint, and they forced uh, LSU to take a lot of jumpers from the outside, and they just were not hitting them. Um, and then yesterday, kind of, uh, they missed a lot of close shots, especially Angel Reese. Uh, I mean, a lot of shots really close to the rim. But they got three big three-pointers from Jasmine Carson, and that was that was huge. And I think whenever she is able to hit, you know, two or three pointers for you and get to you know double figures, that just makes LSU that much more difficult to beat. Uh, and, and you throw in Ladeja Williams in there as well. When she's able to get a double double, uh, that makes LSU that much more difficult to beat because they're just not completely relying on Angel Reese and Alexis Morris, which has been the case in several of their games. So you just have to hope, Raymond, that this is a little bit of a shooting slump, that uh, Alexis Morris will start to find her shot a little bit. Uh, Jasmine can continue to keep hitting some threes and. Uh, you know, Angel Reese is a little bit more effective around the rim uh, because that's that's going to have to happen uh, as they move into the Sweet 16. Let's talk about Alexis Morris. She can be a prolific scorer, and I, I you know, saw it last night where Kim was so invested. She's so invested into her team, into her players, but she's so invested in Alexis, and Alexis had a couple possessions where she came down and just jacked up a bad shot in the possession. They didn't pass the ball long and didn't set it up, and she missed. And then even when they did, she still missed. And you could just see Kim wanting so badly for Alexis's shot to start dropping. And on Friday night, that happened, and she finally got like six points late against Hawaii. And then she got 11 late last night as well. And Kim was the most animated she was the entire game when Alexis's shot started to drop. Obviously, she knows how important she is, the senior guard. Is she going to have to start strong? Is her shot going to have to drop early for them to have a chance to make it to the Final Four in Dallas? 
Yeah, they're going to need really all their players playing at a high level, right? I mean, I would say you know the the four players that I've been taught, and then you can put you can put Flaw J Johnson in there as well. I mean, she does. Uh, so many things, a lot of things that actually don't really register in a box score, but they're going to need that starting five, you know, whether it's Kateri Poole starting in there or whatever, but they just need that starting five to be playing at a very high level. And again, if they're not, they're just, they're they're going to have, uh, you know, I mean, they've lost two games, and, and in, in a particular, they just didn't get the contributions that they that they needed, but uh, yeah, I think Kim Mulkey understands for Alexis Morris, um, you know, just how important she is. I mean, if if you get her scoring around twenty points and Angel scoring twenty and Ladeja around ten and Jasmine around ten, I mean, that's that's sixty points right there. And then you know whatever Flaugé and the the bench can get you. So um, they. They they need a they need Alexis Morris playing at a high level. I mean, you just need for you to make a run here through the Final Four. You're going to be playing some really tough teams here. You got Utah coming up on Friday. Uh, most likely, you're going to play Indiana on Sunday. I mean, Indiana's a top seed. They've been one of the best teams in the country. I mean, the, the, just really the, the the whole group just has to play at a higher level than what we've seen here, especially on the offensive end. We're talking with Jeff Palermo. He's the sports and news director for the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also the co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, which you can hear every week here on the game. All right, bud, let's switch gears to baseball. They absolutely clobbered Texas A&M in the first two games. Looked like they were going to get the clean sweep on the road in College Station. Bullpen let them down a little bit, and they walked too many batters in yesterday's game. What do you make of what you saw from Jay Johnson's team in their opening weekend series in SEC play? Well, you saw how dominant they can be. I mean, you know, whenever, especially you go back to Friday night and, and, and Paul Skeens and how electric he was, and then you, you put the bats in there as well, just how explosive this team can be. But the, the game of baseball can humble you at times, right? Just when you think you got it all figured out, and, and you're probably sitting there when LSU scores four runs in the first inning yesterday. You're probably sitting there saying, "Man, this this team's not going to lose a game the rest of the way, right?" <laughs> because they just they they were so dominant and they scored 21 runs in the the first two games of the series. And then, well, um, you know, as Paul Maneri uh, would love to say, uh, these guys are not robots. So just because you go to the bullpen or you know, Thatcher Hurd is going to be, uh, you know, just outstanding every game. It just doesn't work out that way sometimes. And uh, the pitching let them down. They just, uh, you know, Thatcher Hurd got started getting really wild. Um, yeah. Riley Cooper just hasn't just hasn't looked really good this season, and and he had another tough outing. And uh, Christian Little. You know, first time that he's really pitching in a pressure pack situation, and the the fans there at Olsen Field at Bluebell Park, they're making a lot of noise, and he gets a little bit rattled. Um, so it's yeah, you're going to lose some games in baseball, Raymond. I mean, that's just the. I know people go off. Uh, there's a a good chunk of this LSU baseball fan base that just they 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 want to you know just. Um, crucify everyone and point fingers and uh, it's almost like they love when they fail because they can then just sit there and and, and pound their chest and say see I told you I told you this team isn't all that good 
I think they showed on Friday and Saturday how really good they can be. And I don't care what level you're at, you're going to have a game where your pitchers just don't throw enough strikes and you're going to lose a game. And that happened to happen on Sunday for LSU. So uh, no big concern there with that. Hopefully Thatcher Hurd pitches better the next time and, and some of those other guys that come out of the bullpen. But I think this team still showed you enough this past weekend that, man, they – they got a chance, Raymond, to win about 23 SEC games. I think that's a that's a pretty solid number that this team can get to, and I uh, wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's even 24. I mean, they're just they're just that good. Just just a rough day, uh, you know, with their pitchers yesterday. That's that's what you could chalk it up to. All right, brother. Before we let you go, what you got on tap for Tiger Rag Radio this week, my friend? Well, obviously, uh, I guess we'll be uh, following after the Central Arkansas game, so it'll be a late-night version of Tiger Rag Radio tomorrow. Um, <laughs> so we'll be, uh, we'll be chatting, obviously looking ahead to the Sweet 16 game between LSU and Utah. We'll talk some baseball, and I guess we get back to football here uh, after a, a week off. So, um, uh, so uh, you know, we'll, we'll be hitting all the, all the big topics once again, and Maybe we start to hear a little bit too, uh, as far as Matt McMahon and um, you know maybe, uh, what, what kind of changes as we're looking at here. I would imagine now that you have a uh, you only got 16 teams left in men's basketball, I would think you're going to start hearing a lot more about guys in the transfer portal and and LSU and Matt McMahon in particular trying to uh, see what he can find in there and and hopefully get some commitments out of there here soon. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy your week. Stay uh, bundled up and warm out there, bud. Yeah, it's a little chilly. Not, not a good day to have a scramble out there today, uh, Raymond. But uh, hopefully but you guys I, have I a see good the day. sunshine right now. It's coming out. It's gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna warm up. It's gonna be a great yeah. day for a scramble, my yeah, friend. Okay. Yeah, it probably will be a little frosty dew on the golf course though this morning. Just a little bit. Thank you, bud. <laughs> All right, man. Bye bye. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day with the first round now in the books. Who is the new favorite, in your opinion, to win the NCAA men's basketball tournament? Once again, we had two one seeds, two two seeds, not make it through the first weekend. Complete chaos, busted brackets everywhere. But who do you like now that we've gone through the first weekend? 63% of you still say Alabama. They're the number one overall seed for this tournament. 29% of you say Houston. Cougars looked better, especially there in the second half when they took down Auburn. They were in trouble, and they were able to rally and win that game comfortably by like 17 points. It was crazy how great they played in the second half. 8% of you say UCLA, and no votes yet for the Texas Longhorns. I like the Texas Longhorns to make it at least to the Final Four. I did before the tournament began, and I still do. They're just playing excellent basketball. Let's get to a couple of your comments. John Paul on Twitter says, I bet fans 
of the Big Ten and Pac-12 and ACC are not happy that the SEC has three teams left. SEC rules football, baseball, now basketball. It's just not fair, but I love it. Ton says, definitely Bama. They've been good all year long and are the best team left. Then again, Princeton, Furman, and others have proved that paper doesn't matter. Play does. And JPK, the OD, says, all in on Houston now, 7-8 and eight and 5-8 and eight for 12 and 16 alive here. So keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll update it throughout the rest of today's show. Two hours in the books, hour number three coming up, and we'll kick it off talking NFL free agency with Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. That's next, right here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything. Everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Two hours are in the books here as we're broadcasting live from Farm Valley Golf Club here in Karen Crow. We're here today for the Game Charity Golf Scramble, which will be taking place later on this afternoon. The game, courtesy Bro Bridge, have come together to put on this event that's going to help benefit Red Bird Ministries. So RP3 and company, and of course, footnotes will follow as we'll broadcast live from here. Of course, that means our guy Dawson Iserlow is back in the Evco Development Studios there in Upper Lafayette, handling things Manning the ones and twos, if you will, making sure we look good and we sound good. And trust me, that is a challenge every single day. Don't forget, vote on our poll question of the day. Now that the first weekend is in the books for the NCAA men's tournament, who do you have? Who do you like now? Who's your new favorite? We had two one seeds and two two seeds all get eliminated on weekend number one. Go vote on that. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. We've talked a lot of NCAA tournament, both men and women. We've talked World Baseball Classic this morning as well. And, of course, the injury to Jose Altuve, meaning he's going to be out for two months, it appears, with a broken finger. Not great for the team captain and the team leader, the heartbeat of the Houston Astros. But this is a team that's figured out before how to deal with key pieces being out in long stretches. Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman both have missed significant time in recent years. So, Jose should be able to come back strong, and the Astros, maybe this resets them. Maybe this gets them to be laser-focused, if you will, as they try to win back-to-back World Series championships. That quest will begin later this month. But right now it's time for us to talk NFL because it has been immensely busy. The league never shuts down, does it? It never stops. It never takes any time off. And to give us the latest on what's going on in the NFL with free agency, with trades, with the Aaron Rodgers saga, if you will, is our good buddy Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News. Vinny, good morning to you, brother. Thank you for making the time. How are you? Uh, doing well, uh, RP3. Uh, yeah, a lot of things happen. A lot of teams looking a lot different than they were just a couple weeks ago. Yes, they yes they are. I want to start off with a team in the New Orleans Saints division, and that's the Carolina Panthers. They've been very, very aggressive with their new 
front office, their new head coach in tow, right? They're bringing in Frank Reich to be the coach. They go ahead, they trade all the way up to number one. They give up a wide receiver and a bunch of picks to do so. And then they've been kind of wheeling and dealing, signing guys here left and right, poaching some players from the New Orleans Saints, including Andy Dalton and Shai Tuttle. And then over the weekend, they agreed to terms with a great player for the Minnesota Vikings, Adam Thielen, the wide receiver. He agrees to a three-year deal to go play, continue his career in Carolina. What do you make of the direction and the moves by the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, I think they're just trying to reset a little bit. It's uh, kind of a situation a little bit maybe a year behind what the Bengals and Jaguars did ahead of having the number one pick. So they are now prepared for that, and they're in a situation where they know who they're going to take, obviously, at this stage, and they're kind of preparing their team for it. So I think uh, they have one of the quarterbacks in mind here. They're trying to get things in place for the new offense that they have with Frank Reich and Thomas Brown. So different concepts going there. They're trying to just get some depth, fill some holes in other places here. So slowly maybe preparing and hoping that that number one overall pick which I think is probably going to be more polished quarterbacks, such as Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud versus an Anthony Richardson, because I think the moves they're making say we want to win sooner rather than later. Richardson is more of a guy that you'd wait for his upside to kind of develop, and I think he's more of a guy that you would say, okay, if he has to sit behind somebody and learn like Patrick Mahomes did and then unleashes upside in year two, that's someone you would look at. But the Panthers look like they're trying to turn this thing around as quickly as possible, make that jump here with that rookie quarterback, cleaning up what they had last year at the position, and then maybe really making that push like we saw in the Bengals and Jaguar seasons in year two with their quarterback. Oh, what do you give of the speculation that the Panthers may try to trade back with someone at four or something like that and try to stockpile some more picks, uh, try to be like Kevin Costner in draft day? Yeah, I think it's going to be hard because now you have a quarterback in mind. I think uh, the other teams are also prepared for this, right? I mean, you can't get too crazy here and bring another team up because I think there was an offer already that there was an availability with number one. Teams try to make their best offer. Keep in mind, I mean, it wasn't just the Panthers going after number one with the Bears. The Raiders had some things on the table. So, I don't know, like, I think the price of that pick just went up a little bit more. So, I think teams are going to be wise to that and be a little bit careful about spending. Because as much as the Panthers uh, made some other moves, they gave up a ton. And I think D.J. Moore is going to be a big loss there for them. I mean, Adam Thielen's okay, but you got Adam Thielen. you got Terrace Marshall Jr., of course, from LSU there. They need a lot of help in that receiving core to help that quarterback. So I think this is just part of it, what they're doing. But, again, I think they're setting up more for 2024 in Carolina. Let's stay in the division. What do you make of all the moves that Mickey Loomis and his front office have been able to make this offseason for the New Orleans Saints, from Derek Carr to going out there and getting Jamal Williams, which I thought they barely paid anything for? Yeah, I think what you're seeing is a transition to the Saints going back to being an offensive team. We know they had terrible defenses, but then the defense became the strength, right, with the Dennis Allen's influence and getting the right personnel. Well, they got gutted there. We know that. Uh, their former assistant, uh, Ryan Nielsen, he went to Atlanta, so he took some of his players there, David Onimata, and uh, 
Caden Ellis. They couldn't keep Marcus Davenport, but they knew that. There was just too much money that they had to invest in some of these guys. So they took some hits on defense. I think uh, that was expected. But offensively, they look a little bit more legitimate. Derek Carr in there, Chris Olave going into year two. They have more of the guys that they want in their, their style of player. So you've got him. You've got Michael Thomas back in the fold. They took care of Juwan Johnson here. And now you get Jamal Williams hopefully to create what they had. Uh, earlier with uh, Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara replacing Mark Ingram. So I think offensively the Saints will be better, but defensively you know they're going to slide a little bit. What do you make of the quarterbacks and where they've gone this offseason? What's really stood out to you and what do you think is going to be the biggest game changer not named Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, Derek Carr definitely is going to help the Saints, but I do think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have real positive influence on the Raiders. I know they had Carr there, but when you look at it, I think it's more of Josh McDaniels' people here in year two. I mean, they were kind of the end of the John Gruden era and all the predecessors there, but now you're seeing that Patriots stamp on the Raiders start to take effect with McDaniels, the GM Dave Ziegler also came from New England, cleaning up a little bit, getting their system guys in there, guys that they trust there. So I think the Raiders are going to be a lot more effective here. I think there's a bit of an opening. The Chargers are trying to figure things out now. The Broncos, we don't again in transition with Russell Wilson, with Sean Payton in there. So Raiders have an opening to be more competitive here. I think the biggest thing they have to work on now is I think their offensive line is a little bit better than some people would like to think. I mean, they just helped the leading rusher in the NFL. I think the system of McDaniels is going to work a little bit better. But what I would expect the Raiders to do really build that defensive around Max Crosby. they got to get better at defensive tackle, work on the inside, get corner help. If they can do a little bit of that in the draft, I think you're in good shape here for the Raiders maybe being a factor maybe next year because they have a decent contract for Jimmy Garoppolo, so they're not paying a lot for their starting quarterback, and that's another way to win. We know that. where You have a veteran that you can trust to win. The 49ers just did that and you don't spend a lot on him, or you go the rookie route. So I think the Raiders are kind of following that uh, former philosophy there is that pay the medium range for the quarterback and spend on other positions. Let's stay in that division. You know, Sean Payton goes to Denver, and he's going to try to get Russell Wilson back on track, try to fix him. But multiple reports are coming out that the Broncos are allegedly shopping both Sudden and Judy That doesn't make a lot of sense to me to take away two of Russell Wilson's best weapons and trade them away. Uh, You just gave Sutton the contract, what, a year ago, and Judy's on the rookie deal, which is, you know, affordable to the team, especially a team that is paying a quarterback an enormous amount of money. Uh, What do you make of those reports, and do you think the Broncos are seriously trying to shop two of their best pass catchers? Yeah, I think what they saw last year is that uh, Russell Wilson had better chemistry with Jerry Judy. I think it was the expectation the other way around, based on some of the things that they'd seen in the offseason. Cortland Sutton is is a very talented receiver, but he's had a lot of trouble staying healthy. And I think maybe they regret making that investment where you didn't see the payoff with Wilson that they might have expected. So I think that's the thing. is I think they were paying him thinking the return was going to be there. They didn't also have Tim Patrick, who's a very good receiver, and they gave him – money last year as well so they need to be very careful about how much they invest there so i think what i would do is try to move sudden still as much as possible judy again you can't pay both of these guys later so it's kind of like the situation kind of you had developed in dallas with amari cooper 
and CeeDee Lamb. They'd eventually trade Cooper, move on. Now the Cowboys have Brandon Cook, so they're with CeeDee Lamb. So if you have to deal sudden, I would go ahead and do it and maybe add one of those veteran wide receivers that are there because I think he's your best value piece. I think he has a lot of upside. Where I think Judy is more essential to keep with Russell Wilson. Does the Brandon Cooks trade from the Texans to the Cowboys uh, prevent the Cowboys from going out and trying to get DeAndre Hopkins? And do you think Hopkins is still going to get moved? Well, I think another team is going to get him. I think with Brandon Cooks, I mean, they already have their number one at CeeDee Lamb. And, and he's very much, if you look at the way he plays a little bit, he's very much like Hopkins. You have younger, better version mm-hmm. of him as already as your alpha. There's just not the ball to go around to that many people. I think they'll use the tight ends. I also think... The Cowboys are going to run a different style of offense. I think there will be more power run-oriented, Brian Schottenheimer, and I, I don't think uh, they need to go and help themselves a little bit more. At receiver, I think Cooks gives that versatile route runner. They already have the occasional field stretcher when he's healthy and Michael Gallup. So when you look at Hopkins, he's got to go to a team. I don't know if he has to settle for an Adam Thielen-like role, complimentary. It would be have the older guy on a younger team and not be the number one he once was because the fate is going to happen here. He's getting old fast. We saw how quickly it came for Julio Jones and A.J. Green when they were right around 30. So when you look at that, it's uh, going to be a tough market, and the contract is not so friendly right now for the Cardinals to make that trade. So they're going to have to figure out restructure, maybe a pay cut, and then they got to deal them that way. We're talking with Vinny Iyer of the Sporting News, talking NFL free agency and trades. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, let's talk Aaron Rodgers. What is it going to cost the Jets, in your opinion, to be able to get the uh, multiple MVP as he tries to extend his career by playing in the Meadowlands, or what I still call the Meadowlands, whatever they call it now? Yeah, I think they're just having a staring contest, right? I mean, these are the two teams that know what's going on. The Packers need to move him. The Jets want him. So let's figure it out. So I think that's what's going on here. So <laughs> what's going to happen? Who's going to win this? The blinking, staring contest, we'll have to see. But, look, if the Jets have to give up two first-rounders, I mean, that's fine. I mean, that's the going price. I think if they have to give up more than that, it's not a good deal for them. If they give up less than that, then it's a great deal for them. So, again, I would give up two first-rounders. Anything else you can figure out. For Aaron Rodgers, because you're trying to win a Super Bowl, and you have to do these type of things. I mean, that's what the Rams did. Worked out. You saw the the shot that the Bucks took with Tom Brady. Worked out. So they both got one ring out of it, so they can't say they regretted it. And if the Jets can use this to get a ring, they're gonna they're gonna pay that price. So I think it's a copycat league. We know, and I think the Brady the Bucks situation, Stafford to the Rams. I think that's what the Jets are thinking here with this move. Get chatter with one more. Detroit Lions, they had a breakout season last year. Didn't get into the postseason, became really close. And they've made some moves this offseason. Yeah, they let Jamal Williams walk, but they bring in Montgomery, who's probably a younger version of Williams. And uh, yesterday the news broke that they agreed to terms with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, the former Saint and Philadelphia Eagle hybrid defensive back. What do you make of Detroit's moves this offseason? And do you think they can make a play and ascend up to win the NFC North in 2023? Yeah, I mean, you look at Detroit's secondary, it's completely different now. You've got C.J. Gardner-Johnson, you got Cameron Sutton, you got Emmanuel Mosley. They're suddenly deep with Jeff Okuda there as well at corner. They had lost to Sean Elliott, and I think they upgraded with C.J. Gardner-Johnson. So when you look at that, secondary is great. they got Aiden Hutchinson, of course, up front. So they got the two draft picks. And 
and they're loaded offensively. When you bring in Montgomery, I think he's an upgrade from Williams because he can also catch passes and uh, maybe take over the feature back. DeAndre Swift is a little bit unreliable. You have the best offensive line maybe in the NFC right now. The Eagles taking a couple hits. So great offensive line, pretty good skill players. Jameson Williams coming back to help. Amon Ross St. Brown. Add a few more pieces. Maybe you add a tight end to get a little bit more dynamic again with your offense after trading TJ Hawkinson. Maybe make a few more moves, but I would be shocked right now the way the lines are structured if they didn't make the playoffs. I mean, they had the record worthy to do so last year. They were just in the wrong division. So, again, this looks like a playoff team. The bigger question is the way things are going, with Aaron Rodgers gone, the Vikings maybe being overachievers last season, does this set up the Lions to be the team to beat in the FC North and not just for one season for two or three years. So very fun to watch that as uh, we go forward. Vinny, appreciate you, Tom. As always, brother, the NFL never takes time off. It never sleeps. Hopefully you'll be able to catch some Zs, my friend. Enjoy the rest of your week, bud. All right, thanks, guys. Have a good one. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For Sports Talk Love, that is... I'm ready for love. Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Honestly, I just like the team. Honestly, it... it it kind of came out of nowhere, but at the same time, I just love how they had interest in me and, you know, just showed that they wanted me to be here. And honestly, I'm just proud to be part of a great team like this. Uh, a lot of vets on it, a lot of uh, a team that has a lot of players that know, you know, what playoffs is, what, when the Super Bowl is. So I'm just grateful to be here and be part of a team that already knows how to win and, and knows what to do. So I'm just coming in and just bringing my part in here. Jamal Williams, new running back for the New Orleans Saints, formerly of the Green Bay Packers and, of course, the Detroit Lions. Last season rushed for over 1,000 yards, led the NFL with 17 rushing touchdowns. He has quite the personality. He has, uh, has no trepidation, Dawson, getting in front of the media, talking to the media, talking to fans on social media. He's very savvy. He's got a great big personality. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think he's going to be a great fit. Not only what he can do as as our guy, Kevin Foote, would say, downhill runner, but also what he can do with catching the ball out of the back backfield. But also, he's got a personality. He's going to fit right in in New Orleans, and he's going to fit right in with the Saints locker room. Yeah, seems like uh, the type of guy that you would run into on the streets of New Orleans if he wasn't a football player, just one of those characters that's going to make the press conference rooms uh, there on Airline Drive quite interesting this season and in the Superdome. So uh, he provides 
I mean, honestly, he's a perfect fit on the field and off the field. It's it's kind of uh, it's one of the better moves the Saints have made in recent memory in my mind. I don't want to overstate things with this, and we'll see how it actually plays out and how well he plays. But the price they got him at, what he provides offensively, especially with Kamara potentially missing games, we've seen him be a bell cow at times with Detroit when they were missing DeAndre Swift. So you know yep. he has that capability. Um, but he also is going to be comfortable, you know, switching into a change of pace guy at times. Going to be a valuable goal line asset. Um, and yeah, he is quite the sparkling personality. And that's something the Saints locker room has plenty of with guys like Cam Jordan on the defensive side. Now he'll bring that type of uh, personality to the offensive side of the locker room. So that should be an interesting thing to kind of see how those two mesh and, and how the, uh, the offense and the defense. Maybe the offense can kind of, um, you know, it's one of those things you think the defense probably was pretty frustrated at the end of the year last year. Maybe the offense can start to pick things up and carry their weight, so to speak, this season. You know, we talked about him leading the NFL last year with 17 rushing touchdowns, and Detroit really didn't utilize him in the passing attack as much as he was accustomed to when he was splitting carries in Green Bay. Uh, in, in Green Bay. And, you know, he, he brings a lot, right? Uh, not only the personality, but he can do multiple things for this team. And he talked about over the weekend what he can bring to the New Orleans Saints and what he can bring to the Saints offense. I think I bring a lot of emotion. I think I bring a lot of just 100% love and grit and just being a warrior and just being myself. Um, I don't do anything I feel like that's out of what teams do or try to be, like, apart from the team. I'd rather, I want to be part of the team no matter what I can do. So blocking, running it, shoot, get back to kick return, bump return, whatever they need me to do, I'm with it. But I'm just here to just give everything I got, give everything on my talents, keep learning how to get better. Because um, you can never stop improving. So, And that's what I love about football. Like, people think they know me so bad. They just think they know my running style. They think they know what, how I'm going to run the ball. But you can always change that up. So that's why I can't wait for the season. You gotta love the attitude, right? I just, you know, you know, he's gonna be just kind of that guy. He's gonna kind of. I can't wait to see what he and Kamara can do when they're both gonna be utilized. But look, we expect Kamara to be suspended for at least six games, if not more. You know, having this guy back there, he's gonna carry the load, and he proved last year when given the opportunity in Detroit, he proved that he can be the bell cow, right? He can do everything for them, and it's a great pickup for the Saints. And look, the Lions got themselves a good guy. They got him essentially a younger version of Jamal by going out and getting Montgomery. So rarely do you see a guy leave a team and that team get better and the team he goes to gets better as well, but this is kind of the situation there. And he was asked about the one-two punch, right, that kind of boom and zoom that the Saints used to have with Kamara and Mark Ingram, and he talked about pairing and uh, getting paired up with Alvin. Yeah, I've always been always been grateful to be able to be partner up with great backs. And so I'm just grateful to be here with Alvin and, you know, just get to work, you know. And the great thing about it is it's just a positive competition. I'm all about positive competition. I'm about pushing my teammates to the best that they can be and them pushing me. And that's the only way that we can get better, iron sharpers iron, so that when we go out there and face another team, we already know that we, we can go out there and execute and win. So. I'm just here to just keep pushing my teammates any type of way I can. And, you know, we already know what the main goal is for us in the season. So winning, that's it. So I'm just ready to go, man. I'm just, I'm really excited. That's all. 
the man is excited and he can't help himself, Dawson. He's excited. He's ready to go. And he even talked further about, you know, talking about that personality. He, he talked about, you know, he, he felt like he manifested this. He manifested his departure from Detroit and his arrival in New Orleans. Yeah. But the funny part is, is like, I feel like I manifested this. Kind of. Like, manifested it. Because uh, Coach Thomas, he a great dude. He a great dude. And it is just, we was... Uh, like not really talking at the Super Bowl, like we just catching up, saying, "Hey, how you doing?" You know, just talking a little bit. And the last thing I said to him, like when we was just breaking off, was like, "I'll see you soon." I just said it, you know. I mean? like, see you soon, not bye, nothing like that. See you soon. So now that that really stick in my head, I'm like, hmm, look what God undid, done made the blessings happen, and now I'm here at this great facility, this great team, and you know, I just can't wait to get to work. And I just love that people think they know me, you know what I mean? So I can't wait to prove people wrong this year too. So it's business. This is all business. You see me smiling, but I'm here for business, just to let y'all know. Just to let you – Dawson, he's there for business. Did you know that? He's, he's there for business. Yeah, and he must have – I mean, the, the amount of in and out on the mic there, I didn't have the video version of this, but – I was desperately scrambling to get the audio levels even down, so that should be fun to hear Jamal Williams talk throughout the season. But, uh, man, what a guy. And, I mean, I got to see him on Hard Knocks in Detroit, so this isn't the first time I've been exposed to the Jamal Williams experience. Um, He is quite an interesting player, and I think he was an emotional leader of that team. So that's another reason I was surprised. Yeah, they did end up getting Montgomery, but I was surprised they didn't try to retain Jamal Williams because he felt like a kind of a core piece over there. But they go elsewhere, and the Saints are uh, probably better for it. Exactly, exactly. We'll talk more about the Jamal Williams signing as well as all the other uh, signings, including across the defensive line, the restructuring of the contracts with Michael Thomas. And what did the Saints do now in free agency as they gear up for the draft? It sure does feel like they're in a position of just taking best player available. We'll talk about that with Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. He joins us live next here on RP3 and Company on the game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. New Orleans Saints have been extremely busy this offseason, wheeling and dealing, having players walk that they didn't want to overpay for, signing guys that are younger and possibly even better for cheaper contracts. And Mickey Loomis has somehow figured out a way to convince his star players to continue taking team-friendly deals. Now, of course, he just shifts the money over to signing bonuses, but Mickey's working his magic. And I keep saying it over and over again, to Saints fans who were livid the day that some of their defensive players like Caden Ellis and Shai Tuttle and Marcus Davenport left and, what is what are they doing? I'm done with this team. And I just tell them, breathe, trust Mickey. And a guy that probably agrees with me on this is the man behind the Locked on Saints podcast, our next guest, Ross Jackson. Ross, good morning to you, brother. Uh, we should all just trust Mickey, right? I mean, I keep saying it, but people keep <laughs> doubting it, so I'm not for sure why. 
Good morning, brother. Thanks so much as always for having me on. Yeah, I think you're looking to uh, to trust Mickey, and you're looking to trust Kai, Kai Harley as well. I think these yes. guys are doing a great job so far this offseason. All right, uh, we've talked about the Derek Carr deal in the past, but I want to talk about the other things that they've done offensively this offseason. Got Michael Thomas, got that big contract off the books, had him agree mm-hmm. to a one-year deal. Essentially, this is wanting to prove that he deserves a big deal, which I was stunned that that deal even got done. Got Winston to come back as a backup. Uh, you get Jamal Williams. You only have to pay $12 million for him. Uh, what do you make of the deals offensively that the Saints have been able to do this offseason? Yeah, I mean, they've gotten some pretty pretty great things done. I mean, just on that side of the ball, uh, effectively, you got three players to agree to lesser deals to stick around. I mean, you know, Michael Thomas' deal is incentive laden. He can still basically make the amount of money that he was set to make in 2023. But Jameis Winston comes in at a four year, you know, at a four million dollar uh, contract that could potentially go up to eight million dollars. Uh, you know, Andrews Pete took a pay cut. He's sticking around, and then they advance and sort of restructure his contract at the same time, effectively turning that into a one year deal. Uh, the Saints have done some impressive things, getting people to buy in to what they've got going on. I think the addition of Jamal Williams as well uh, is huge for them. I know a lot of people look at 14 touchdowns out of his 17 last year came from within four yards, but that's just the way that the Detroit Lions use them. It doesn't mean that that's his only skill set. You look back at you know his time in Green Bay where he was catching nearly 40 passes. I think that average was like 38.75 catches per season. He had a season with five receiving touchdowns as well. Uh, I'll be surprised if he doesn't, you know, if he ends up playing at that 224-pound weight, if he doesn't slim down, uh, I'd be a little bit surprised. So uh, I think the Saints have done a great job identifying where it is that they wanted to improve, what it is that they missed out on last year, and then finding a way to get all of that in the building this year. You get a guy that's versatile. He displayed his pass-catching ability when he was in Green Bay. Detroit didn't necessarily use him that way the last couple years. He's a guy that can be a bell cow for you. He's a guy that can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's got great personality. Getting a guy like that for only $12 million, is that going to be considered one of the big steals in free agency, Ross, when it's all said and done? Yeah, I mean, depending upon his performance in 2023, I think so. But I think even now you can look at it as sort of an unheralded uh, uh, signing because it's not getting a lot of attention outside of the city of New Orleans. But it's a big signing for them, and it's a – great landing spot for uh, Jamal Williams as well. If the numbers that I've been told and if the, some of the numbers that have been reported in terms of what his offer was in Detroit, because folks have kind of said that it was around the same offer that um, David Montgomery took, and that's not that's not untrue. The, the the numbers that I've been told aren't dissimilar from what David Montgomery is you know did sign. Uh, but if, if those are true, then it means that he also took less money per year to come to New Orleans. So clearly he wanted to be here. He wanted to be a part of what New Orleans had to had to offer. And I think that's true to be said uh, from a lot of this. So you look at that contract and you look at the ability that he potentially has on the field, not even removed from leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns. I absolutely think this could be the steal of the offseason if everything works out the way that the Saints would like it to here. How surprised are you that Mickey got not only Michael Thomas to come back on a one-year team-friendly deal, but he got Jameis Winston to come back on a team-friendly one deal. I didn't think either one of those guys had a good chance of being on the roster for the 2023 season, yet they both are going to be here. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I was in the same boat. Um, you know, things that the tide started to turn a little bit with Michael Thomas once uh, Derek Carr was settled as the you know new starting quarterback here in New Orleans. But, you know, that 
signing of Derek Carr only made it feel more unlikely when it came to Jameis Winston, right? And now all of a sudden he's sticking around. So I do think that there's a couple of different layers to it, right? Obviously the Saints get some salary cap relief with this move by getting him to take the pay cut and stick around as a still pretty well-paid um, backup. Uh, there's also the part of this that you look at and you say, okay, Jameis Winston you know, puts out his note to the city of New Orleans effectively saying, hey, here's why I stayed. And the city of New Orleans is a big part of it. He absolutely loves it here. I think he pointed pretty clearly to some of his injuries still being a little bit of a factor as well. Um, now he gets to kind of stay where he's familiar and continue to work on recovering and getting better for 2024. Uh, and look, I don't think that there were many opportunities out there uh, for any free agent quarterbacks once the Saints landed you know, their starter. I, I think everybody else that's really a quarterback-needy team with the even with the Las Vegas Raiders bringing in Jimmy Garoppolo, they're all in position to draft their next starting quarterback. And so, did you want to go somewhere and play an Alex Smith type role for a year, or did you want to just stick around where you're comfortable, do what you're, you know, continue to focus on getting healthy, and then attack the market next year? I think Jameis made a wise decision there. So, I think there's a lot of factors to it, but it was all very surprising still to see him stick around here in New Orleans. With Michael Thomas uh, coming back and seemingly being happy and wanting to prove that he can still play at a high level and wanting to kind of collaborate with Derek Carr, does that mean that the Saints are done trying to address the wide receiver position, or do you think they're still going to be aggressive, whether that's in free agency with a trade or drafting a guy um, coming up in the draft? Yeah, I think you still look to see what you can get at that position. Uh, You know, the Saints, once they lost Michael Thomas last year, They lost their 50-50 ball guy, their contested catch guy. And at the end of the season, that was one of the things that Dennis Allen mentioned that they felt that they missed in 2022 once Mike was injured is that they didn't have that guy. So I think you'd probably look for them to maybe add um, another one of those contested catch big-bodied receivers or pass catchers. It doesn't have to be a wide receiver. It could be a a tight end that they want to add as well. Uh, So there's a lot of different places where they could, you know, find that you know, production. Uh, so I wouldn't say that they're done there just yet. I think they still want to have some insurance just in case there's another injury or something else that, you know, impacts his availability. Uh, but also, you know, continue to add to this team and continue to add to the firepower that they have. They've done a good job so far retaining talent over on the offensive side. They kept Juwan Johnson around, uh, the converted wide receiver, and now tight end. They kept Michael Thomas around. But really the only addition that they've had over on the offensive side in terms of skill positions is Jamal Williams, which is no small addition, but I don't think that that's enough. I think they still have a lot of work to do over on the offensive side, and they have the cap space, believe it or not, to do it as they sit top 10 in available cap space right now. We're talking with Ross Jackson of the Locked On Saints podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, let's talk about defense. You know, they lost Shy Tuttle, an undrafted guy that they developed into a rotational guy. Anyamata, who'd been kind of off the last couple of years and had the suspension. Kay Nellis and Marcus Davenport. So they lose four of their guys up front in their front seven. Definitely a big hit, but Mickey Loomis wastes no time. He gets two plug-and-play young starters to come in on the defensive line. What do you make of those moves? Yeah, I think that, that you know losing David Onyemata was probably the biggest sort of one that they would have loved to hold on to. I think keeping Caden Ellis was always going to be you know, that was always going to be tough. If he was going to get a starting opportunity elsewhere, he was already going to be out the building, right? I mean, in New Orleans, he would have been the third linebacker. There's no way you're getting paid, you know, starter money to hold that position as somebody that might see the field if somebody gets injured 
and then might see the field on you know early rundowns and things like that. So it, it seems unlikely that Caden Ellis is going to stick around, although I think probably with the potential and the unknown that comes with him, you probably kind of go, oh, okay, well, that might be the bigger loss of them all. Uh, but, you know, the losses of, you know, Shai Tuttle and David Onyemata, and currently, you know, they still don't have Katavia Street or Malcolm Roach back at this point. Those are probably ones that, you know, you kind of expected with David Onyemata being sort of on the lesser side of that. And so I think that the additions of guys like Colin Saunders and Nathan Shepard from Kansas City and from the New York Jets, respectively, show you that the Saints, A, already had their eyes on guys that they thought would be good fits, right? They were prepared for this. B, shows you, too, that they're looking at maybe being a little bit more of an attacking interior, maybe wanting to be more disruptive in the pass rush. I mean, you know, uh, David Onyemata led the team in, in terms of interior pressures, but barely broke 30. Um, you had you know, Cam Jordan, who paced the defensive ends. I believe he had like 37 total pressures. So not a ton of pressure coming from the Saints defensive line. And so you add guys like Colin Saunders, who performed. You know, he was tied with Shy Tuttle when it came to run stop percentage, but he's 30, 30 places better when it comes to pass rush win rate, which is on average like per snap. How often do you win your blocks against opposing uh, offensive linemen? or your reps against opposing offensive blockers. Nathan Shepard was top 10 when it came to pass rush win rate. Um, uh, David Amato was 26. And so, but both of them were hovering around the same area when it came to run stop percentage. So you see that they don't really give up much in terms of their, their run, the run game, but they add quite a bit when it comes to the pass rush. And I think that's, that's a bit of a focus for the New Orleans Saints here over the course of this offseason, who still have more to do on that defensive line, but... I wouldn't be surprised to see them continue to add their ability as an attacking front as opposed to just a run-stopping front. Get you there with this, bud. Only got about a minute to go. But now that uh, the dust has kind of settled through this first wave of free agency, what do you think the Saints' approach is going to be the rest of free agency? What are some of the positions they're going to target? And what do you think they're going to do with their two draft picks in the first 42 picks? Yeah, I think, you know, the first focus is still who can you bring back? You know, P.J. Williams has been back on several first, for, you know, one-year deals. Can you get him back? Can you get Malcolm Roach back? Can you get Contavia Street back? So there'll be some internal, you know, looks at in-house guys that they want to bring back. I do think that continuing to shore up the defensive line will be a big focus, as well as addressing depth at linebacker and safety. Uh, I would certainly look at, you know, still adding that big pass catcher and a couple of playmakers over on the offensive side as well. And then it picks 29 and 40. I think you're able to go best player available here, whether it be on the offensive or defensive side, especially if you can uh, figure out ways to continue to address and, and bolster that defensive interior. I think the Saints should look to add maybe two more playmakers over on the offensive side as well. So guys like Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama, guys like Zach Charbonnet out of uh, UCLA, uh, Tajay Spears, probably more third rounds at pick 71. But these guys that can you know make things happen with the ball in their hands, even in the earlier portion of the draft with wide receivers like Josh Downs out of UNC, for instance, finding a purer slot player will probably be uh, a big uh, would be a big benefit for this New Orleans Saints team in 2023. Ross, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing with the Locked On Saints podcast, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks as always for having me on. I'll talk to you soon. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Big shout out to Dawson Iserlo, our guy D'Lo, hanging out in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. This morning, once again, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Appreciate everything that he's doing back there as he's making sure we sound good, we look good on this special RP3 and Company edition as we broadcast live from Farm D'Alley. Once again, we're here today for the game charity golf scramble. We've partnered up with Courtesy Bro Bridge to put on this event that helps raise funds. All proceeds go to Redbird Ministries. So excited to be part of that today. Make sure to check out our social media accounts as we'll be posting content from the golf scramble later on today. I want to take a moment to thank our guests for joining us on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company. Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio talking all things LSU. Vinny Iyer, NFL reporter, columnist from the Sporting News. And, of course, Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. We did have a poll question of the day. After a crazy first weekend of the NCAA tournament, first round and second round is now in the books. Who is the new favorite to win the NCAA men's basketball tournament, in your opinion, and winning the vote? is the number one overall seed, Alabama, with 55% of the vote. Their side of the bracket has been basically destroyed. 32% of you say Houston. You know, that second half against Auburn, man, they showed me a lot. They really played to their potential. Looked like a legitimate number one seed. 7% of you say UCLA, despite being down a couple of players. uh, They've moved on to the Sweet 16. And, of course, 6% of you say the Texas Longhorns. Texans and Katie Ennis, Houston is just playing with these teams. They could win 100-6 to if they wanted to. Texans and Katie Anna, of course, is our number one Houston Cougars fan of RP3 and company as well. So thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day. Thanks to all who commented as well. We appreciate you making us part of your morning commute. Up next here on our on the game, of course, is our guy Kevin Foote and Footnotes. My man's rocking the sweater vest. He's ready to go. He's ready to attack the week. We'll be back on tomorrow, back inside the Evco Development Studios from 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote, Footnotes, is up next.